When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks very much for joining us on the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast. I'm Owen McDevitt. With me is Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. But miss, hello, Kieran. But missing an action today is Ken Early, who is on his way to Brazil as we speak. Mm, I know it's a sad day, on. I'm kind of starting to think the whole sending him over on a boat thing might actually <laughs> backfire. Uh, they'll make it across the Atlantic Ocean in three days. He'll, uh, he'll be there for the quarterfinals. I'm sure he'll be fine. His <laughs> final task before leaving the country. As long as that boat has good Wi-Fi, we're, we're uh, happy enough. <laughs> it's all the Ken, that's what Ken is all about in these uh, work trips. Anyway, his final task before leaving the country was to present a farewell football show. That's already out there for you. I must warn you, though, it's strictly, very strictly an over-18s production because Richie Sadler was in studio to tell us some of the methods professional footballers use to keep the boredom at bay during long tournaments. It gets a little triple X rated, that's all I'm saying for now. We're going to drive our Kenny pretty hard over in Brazil. A whole bunch of extra shows for you during the tournament. We'll have our usual four programmes a week. But extra World Cup shows, Murph, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's six programmes in total each week from next Monday. Ah, uh, we're divils for work, on Divils for it. Certainly are. Can you handle us, internet? Uh, well, I should hope so. Um, you know, we're, we're going to stretch the internet to its very limit uh, over the next month and a bit but I, they're ready for it we're ready for it I've called the people in charge of the internet oh, yeah yeah I've said, how, are, how are they you know them quite well uh, well I've, I've, I've had some deals I said Mr and Mrs Internet get ready for it we're going to what is it Kieran we're pretty busy here as, as always said yeah, the internet people you know, if, you know I know that you think you know you've got a lot of internet related business there Kieran mm-hmm. but turns out there's a lot of stuff going on over here so Let's keep it brief. On this show, we've got a cracking lineup for you. Shane Horgan and Trevor Hogan a little bit later on Ireland's first test win ever in Argentina. Ushim and Conville will talk about a close call for Mayo and some, frankly, quite embarrassing scenes featuring his own county, Armagh, yesterday. And Benny Dunn and Malachy Clerken will be in studio in just a couple of minutes on the back of Sky Sports' debut at Nolan Park, which was very assured and impressive all round. Almost as impressive, Murph, as two of our favourite boxers over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, Andy Lee's knockout was about the best knockout I've ever seen uh, in Madison Square Garden on Saturday night. Uh, and he was in trouble as well. He oh, he'd been, been dropped in the first and hadn't really regained his composure fully. Yeah. And then, just and even then, just like in the seconds leading up to the knockout of uh, John Jackson, he had been rocked again. Um, so it was a, just a one in a million punches. He called it the, the best punch he's ever thrown in his entire life. Uh, Carol Frost had said almost exactly the same thing last weekend. Andy Lee's knockout was 
a good bit better than Cara Frost's knockout. How about that? Uh, and the other Irish boxer um, that you mentioned there as Katie Taylor, of course, who'd won her sixth European uh, championship in a row. If uh, you haven't had a chance to pick up the Irish Times today, Johnny Watson has a really, really good piece in the, the back page of the Irish Times Sports Supplement today uh, about Katie and about her brilliant achievement in not losing a round uh, in Bucharest over the course of the European Championships uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just, I suppose, the fact that this is halfway uh, between Olympics and for whatever reason, you know, Katie's... Uh, achievements in London, we'll never ever forget them. But she's actually achieving in between these two, uh, in between Rio and London, amazing things. Continues to be one of our greatest ever athletes, and uh, maybe maybe we're just taking it for granted. We totally now. take it for granted. Yeah, that's true. And it struck me. I heard uh, Hugh Call interviewing Katie immediately after the victory on Radio One. She was so emotional. I've never really choking back the tears and I'd never heard her quite like that. Even after winning the Olympic Games, maybe it was more of a relief, which she may have said herself after the Olympics. But it struck me how much these tournaments mean to her and how much work and sacrifice go into being good enough to go and actually win them the whole time. The amount of emotion that she showed. And like you're saying, it's almost maybe a bit of a passivity or passiveness, whatever the correct term is there, to how sports fans in Ireland view Katie Taylor. We don't really engage that much up until the next Olympic Games when we all hope that she does it again. So fair play to her and also to Andy Lee for getting the job done in Madison Square Garden. On By the way, the point we need to raise about that was that that was on uh, before the Cotto-Martinez fight. It could have been the first fight of the night, certainly on the undercard. So a decent crowd there ready to see it, but it was televised and Andy Lee's knockout was trending on Twitter in the US. So you couldn't do much more than mm. that to increase your profile in American boxing. Yeah, the celebrations were pretty good as well. To everybody, to Katie and to uh, Andy there. We're joined in studio now by our two TV reviewers this week, Benny Dunn and Maggie Clerk. And thanks very much for calling in. No problem. Uh, how did you think Sky did on their debut, Benny? Um yeah, tuning in on Saturday evening, I was pretty, very much excited to see how Sky or what kind of take they were going to take on it. And to be honest with you, uh, first impression was very good. I thought very, very professional, uh, which was what I expected, to be honest with you. Um, I thought Jamesy, in fairness, uh, with the Jamie Redknapp, su- Jamie Redknapp suit uh, <laughs> looked the part. Um, but no, from from first off, I thought uh, the presenters very good. Um, Rachel Wise, very you know, very much clued in, knew what they were talking about, and uh, you know, very very good start for Sky. I would say. I reckon everybody expected that it would be solid and would be professional. What we weren't sure of, and I was somewhat surprised by maybe, was that they didn't make any attempt at the start to. It was very, it was quite understated, but also they didn't talk down to the viewer in any way. They assumed that you'd already watched this game. It seemed that it was aimed maybe more at. Irish people in the UK and Irish people in Ireland as opposed to people who didn't know anything about the sport. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think that was the right way to, to take on it. You know, I mean, in fairness to, to the presenters, I mean, that was the, the route that they took. And uh, I think for the Irish viewer, it was uh, it was excellent and, uh, you know, a, go, a good start for Sky in general. Yeah, maybe it could have got a little bit cringeworthy if you're trying to explain the rules of the game. That, uh, you wouldn't go down that route? No, I, I don't think so. And I think it's it's best off to leave it up to people themselves uh, to take on it. And given the tweets, uh, you know, from the from the English people uh, that evening and the day after, I think you know. I think it took a while for them to get into. But I think as the year goes on, they're really really going to enjoy the, the hurling championship. There was uh, there was quite a high level of bemusement uh, amongst <laughs> the, the the English, and I think we all saw the collections on various websites or whatever of the of the tweets. But I mean, I, I, that, I think that was the big decision this guy had to make whether there was going to be any 
exposition, basically uh, a, a sit down ten minute how to manual of so, how though? to watch. I mean, I, well, I, like I didn't know what to expect. I yeah. was thinking about it myself. What would you know? What would I do? What would we do in a situation like that? I think you have to aim it at the Irish market. But even beyond that, Murph, um, you think of of okay. Let's let's look beyond the Irish who are watching it. Let's say you're you're the English people watching mm. it. Let's say if you're an English person and you have Sky Sports in your house, you know, you're used to kind of flicking around, watching different sports, you know, kind of getting into different things. Um, Sports people or sports fans sit and watch a sport and if they see a new sport, they kind of try and work it out. It's very rare that you would ever turn on any sort of sports channel and have like the bass fishing explained to you yeah, or, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. or the curling or maybe sometimes at, at the Olympics or whatever when they know that they're talking to a general audience who wouldn't really be tuning in. But I don't know, a, a sports channel audience, I'd, I'd say they maybe mightn't have spent a whole lot of time kind of yeah. working it out. I'd say that they, they kind of decided from the start. Maybe not necessarily the rules, but there could be an argument that you might explain the social significance of the sport, which wasn't done. Mm. I, to be honest, I, I agree with Benny and, yeah. and Mark. I think, they, I think we all agree that it's probably the right thing to do to, to just talk to the viewers though they want to watch this game and without having to explain yeah. the issues the, around it. Yeah, the, the, what I would say is that I thought that maybe they might have taken maybe the NFL route to it whereby it is like an awful lot of the coverage is very much, mm. you know, this is for the fans, this, this is for the people that actually know exactly what, <clears throat> what, what they're watching. But then there is exposition w- within that as well. There's maybe like 10 or 15% of their coverage where it is... This, they're explaining some of the terms, you know, even in, even in the most basic kind of way. So I kind of thought that that, and I I've actually found that quite inclusive, even though you know I've been mm. watching NFL for quite a number of years. Mm. Um, and I thought that maybe that's what they might have gone for, even a little bit, even as Owen says. I think Owen's right, though. I think there just would have been derision. If, yeah. they, if they had spent too much time explaining mm. that there's three points they've already goal and put kind of uh, videos online and Sky Sports News yeah. have done that I know they made a, a mess up last week with the uh, calling it the Connacht Football Championship which yeah. w- wasn't ideal but they have put stuff out there already so if people do want to go looking for the rules they can they can do it in that way uh, I don't think you're surprised at all Maliki in how fluent it was or how fluid it was given that you we spent a bit of time in Northern Park looking at final preparations last week. Yeah, I went. I went down there on Friday, and actually earlier in the week, uh, I interviewed the director Kieran O'Hara, um, who's a Mayo man and who's who was involved in TV3's coverage and Satanta's coverage, and even going way back, some of the first TG Cahar games that were ever um, broadcast, he was involved in those. Um, so you know, his, his bona fides were there. Um, it was like it was a really impressive kind of setup down there on, on Friday afternoon I mean there must have been 40 to 50 people mm. uh, doing various things there's big there's t- sort of two huge trucks in the James Stevens car park sorry James Stevens uh, the O'Loughlin Gales car park uh, out the back and the um Inside them, there was like 20 people in them, all kind of operating different cameras and picking replays and following all the, the different camera shots. And then up in the box, they were they were just doing the final touches of uh, producing or, or building the, the sort of the studio and getting everything in in uh, in readiness. It was, I mean, it was impressive uh, to see. Um, it was um, they they're just, I mean, they're a professional operation. They were never going to. I I think. <clears throat> Pardon me. The, 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 the sort of the one thing that they that they could almost do without, but at the same time they're probably happy enough with. Sky Sports News is a different organisation to them. 
you know, the the gaffes that, that ha- have happened uh, on Sky Sports News uh, aren't done by anybody really involved, who, in, involved the in the, the production of the show. And so the show is, was, is a complete separate thing and was always going to be a completely separate mm-hmm. thing. And the Sky Sports News thing is It is important they get that funny. right, though. To be ah, honest, totally. It, it, it's the, they do need well, like open. I was and, and you're asking a lot of the viewer to separate Sky Sports GA coverage uh, from Sky Sports And like I, I was saying to him, um, you know... What about, you know, Silly and O'Connor and Latrum and all this? And he was going, he says, well, a couple of things in that. He says, he says first of all, yes, look, it was terrible. Uh, but second of all, you're going to watch the World Cup for the next month. Mm. Every game is going to include a commentator mispronouncing somebody's mm. name. Benny, you I want think, to come back Yeah, there? no, I think all in all, it was a great start, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it was the first day at the office for Sky Sports to see them. I think the lads getting off the bus and the close up of the players and the managers getting off the bus, walking into the dressing room, bringing that kind of a mm. soccer and rugby feel to it. You know, be a big rugby rugby supporter and rugby fan and seeing the angles and the atmosphere, you know, of the players getting the insight from the bus into the dressing room, that type of thing. And I think that's what they bring to the thing. I think all in all, uh, the different camera angles as well, which were great to see. They did bring um, new, st- new stats that I don't think we'd seen before anyway. The mm. sort of uh, hooks, blocks, tackles. Mm. This contested ground balls, contested area balls. Balls. I mean, I think, you know, in a game where it was, you know, and we'll get out of the game eventually, I suppose. Yeah, we'll get but, on very uh, shortly, Murphy. But, uh, I mean, it was such a one-sided game you know, the stats didn't really mean a whole lot. But I think that as the year goes on, I think you they will you will actually be able to extrapolate quite a bit from those uh, facts and figures, as we've seen, you know, a lot of journalists uh, begin to do over the last number of years. So I think maybe that, that will come into it as well. And next week's game is Dublin-Wexford, which, you know, should well, be I'm a lot closer. I'm interested to know so. who's going to be the first manager to take umbrage with the close-up shots as they're on the way in and maybe <laughs> ask the cameraman to give them a little bit more space. <laughs> we all have our ideas of who it might be. It was funny enough, I mean, I was there on Saturday night um, and uh, as the national anthems were playing, it was, it's, you know, you're kind of looking out for, for what's different here. Mm. You know, what's, yeah. what's, you know, is this just another game or, or what's different? And uh, as the national, anthems were, national anthem was playing, uh, the sort of camera guy that was on the pitch was kind of going up and down the Kilkenny players and then timed his run to race down he had to run about 60 yards to get down to the Offaly players and he just got down to the Offaly players you know the bit of the at the end of the National Anthem that nobody really sings yeah, yeah. and they start running everyone starts putting their helmet on yeah, yeah, yeah. just as that just as they were doing he that and they there. were breaking he just kind of got there yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Benny let's talk about the game the the consensus seems to be that Kilkenny have made some sort of a statement do you buy into that can you make a statement this early on in the summer I think he can, Owen, to be honest with you. I thought Kilkenny on Saturday night were absolutely awesome from start to finish. I mean, they obviously had an agenda coming out and I feel you feel that, you know, that Cody Shefflin going for the 10 really is something that they're aiming for this year in total. I mean, they came out, had a great league, you know, won the National League and have started the championship in rip-roaring form um, from start to finish. And you take it, missing Shefflin, missing Richie Power to come back into the setup. You know, what a start for them. Uh, for awfully very, very disappointing Um you know, where do they go from here? Um, you know, they've probably hit rock bottom with that loss at the weekend. So it's going to be a big ask for them to come back and get back into the championship through the qualifiers. Uh, Kilkenny, you feel, have to be very, very happy with uh, with Saturday night um, from start to finish. Colin Fenley looked absolutely superb mm-hmm. in the corner forward position. I played a lot of National League at centre forward. I feel he's probably... He's best placed at corner forward and he you know he tore the awfully defence to shreds they seem to have this desire to inflict pain on teams I'm sure it does come from what we hear about all the time and that is the fear that if they take their foot off the gas 
they could be interrupting. Brian Kennedy was taken off, for example, uh, in the in the back line. It doesn't matter how well the team is playing. One player could lose his place if he yeah. doesn't continue it for yeah. Brian Cody. Absolutely right. And I've, I've been that soldier, um, <laughs> you know, over the years with Tip where, you know, if they kind of get on top of you at all, they really put their foot on your neck and they just stop the oxygen supply right right through there. So, And they did that on Saturday night again. And what a team. And they're brilliant leading from the front. They just don't let up. But again, you're right. They have the panel of players that if one player is having an off day, they have to cover the come in there in, in, in all the positions from corner back right through to, to corner forward so you know watch out uh, every other team in the championship the this Kennedy, year The Kennedy thing was I mean it was it was even a, almost a little unnecessary they were, they were 15 points up and Brian Carroll had it wasn't like he had skinned him now Brian Carroll went on to have a great game like he was probably maybe one of the he mm. was the top scorer in the game in a team, in you a could game, say it, he was possibly the best player. He was probably the best player, but in in a game where his team got beaten by twenty six points, he was still the top scorer. Like, mm, yeah. uh, and changing Kieran uh, Joyce on to him didn't slow him down at all. He was mm. just having a great game. He would only beaten Brian Kennedy to maybe three balls, maybe four. Uh, 28 minutes in he was critical though I mean he got 3-4 points from yeah. playing the first 25 minutes I mean he was very very good his accuracy I mean he got 2 points right from the touchline mm. on both sides of the pitch mm. so he had his marker in big trouble there and you know Kieran Joyce was on the line I mean what a what a player he is yeah. as well to have on the bench yeah. you know, Cody big... never seems to worry though about ruining a player's confidence that's what I'm wondering you know this is a kid in his first first championship game Mm. You know, and, 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 yeah. and he obviously says, you know, these are the terms of engagement. This is this is what Kilkenny is. You know, you sink or swim, and we we go again the next day. This doesn't mean that you're out of it the next day, but you know, you've got to be better. But Jesus, it's ruthless stuff. Like. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the, that was the thing that struck me that wasn't there last year. That there was that there was conviction about everything Kilkenny mm. did from Cody all the way down. Huge conviction that ruthlessness back. Also, just the energy levels in the team generally that we didn't see at all. Say the corresponding fixture in Tullamore last year. Mm. I mean, they conceded four goals to mm-hmm. Offaly. You know, and Offaly aren't any better a team. Probably, well, they're, they're you know they weren't that much better last year than they were this year. You well, know, we you were watching it the other night and kind of going, "How did this team score four goals against them last year?" Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's 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 odd, you know. But I mean, they, they had two goals inside five minutes, both. Mm. High balls caught over Kilkenny defenders' heads, and you just yeah. didn't see it. Yes, uh, on, on Saturday. But you have to remember, like, Kilkenny are hurt from last year, guys. They really are. You know, from from not contesting the All Ireland and that, they are hurt, and they're they're out with a point to prove this year, without a shadow of a doubt. And you can see that right through the league. They took it really, really seriously, and uh, you know, have started the championship in that fashion as well. Have so. they introduced a new style? This both Sky and RT uh, in their coverage made the point that they might be mixing a bit more short passing in. They might be looking at a different way of doing things. Do they look any different to you, or just a better version of the Kilkenny that we've seen in recent seasons? Yeah, I would say a better version of the Kilkenny team that we've seen in recent seasons. I'd agree with that, but I think there is a mix of, you know, more pace in the team, and we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago as well, probably a different profile to the type of player that he was playing, like Tommy Walsh wasn't playing, um, you know that type of thing, Porrick yeah. was playing probably more speed through the team, more pace in the team, and you know that mix of aggression as well, where they just win the ball in the air, like I suppose the one thing that Kilkenny bring to it and will always bring to the table is 10, 11 and 12 will always win their own ball. I mean, so the goalie can be confident pucking the ball out to, to TJ Reid or Owen Larkin or Colin Fenley or Richie Power, whoever it is, that they will stand under the ball and they'll win their own ball all day long. And it's where other teams struggle, the likes of, I suppose, you know, Tip Galway struggle to win primary possession. Kilkenny will do that all day long. And once you're winning primary possession, it's very hard to stop that. Well, if Kilkenny made a statement, Cork might have done so 
as well, fairly comprehensive against Waterford. I was interested in Jimmy Barry Murphy after the game. We, we were talking last week, Murph, about Limerick and how they really explicitly said that they had taken to heart the criticisms that they'd had and the lack of respect that they felt that there was and they wanted to pretty much wanted to ram it down the critics' throats. Cork were getting fairly hammered in the last week or so, but Jimmy Barry Murphy, after the first game and even after the second game, said, look, we just weren't good enough. It seems like maybe he internalised it, took the pressure on himself to a certain extent. And I, I don't know, maybe behind the scenes he was saying, look, everyone's writing us off. But it just struck me that it's maybe a different way of approaching it. And uh, that could be the calm that Jimmy Barry Murphy brings to the whole thing. He doesn't get too wound up about what people are saying about his team. He knows when they're performing and when they're not performing. Yeah, well, I think that probably comes with you know the pedig- pedigree that he has, even as a player as, and as a manager in the past. Mm. I mean, it doesn't really... Jimmy Barry... You know, people will say, you know, it doesn't matter what people say outside the dressing room, you know, and that's... Much more true of other people than it is of uh, of Jimmy Barry Murphy. I mean, I think he at root he just doesn't care. He's won so much that he actually doesn't care, and he's able to probably call it call it as he sees it himself. I don't know, but yeah, look, I personally have great admiration for Jimmy Barry Murphy and his style of management. You know, he's so cool, calm. Um, you know, and he, he, I'd imagine he'd be a great presence in the dressing room. I mean, Cork were obviously shocked with with Waterford game last week where it ended up a draw match and they were well fancied to win that match I mean he would have brought a calmness to the whole situation when everybody else was jumping down their their necks and you know when Waterford came on with that performance but like we saw what happened yesterday uh, you know Cork came out with a with a double score beating like 28 points to 14 I mean there was only one winner there from start to finish so he obviously brought a calmness to the whole situation during the week they got their house in order and by God did they get it right yesterday they didn't bang in goals in the way that Kilkenny did, and that was a concern for them earlier in the mm. season last year they before the All Ireland final. Yeah, I wonder why that is. They they, they've, they've paced, they've precocious forwards, but they don't score many goals. They don't. I mean, they um, they I think they didn't. They, did they go until the All Ireland final last year without scoring? A they goal? got one goal against uh, Horgan. Got a goal against Dublin in the All Ireland semi final. Yeah. That was the only goal they scored. The, the, the one that bundled over the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. The flick from, yeah. from the, yeah. just off Gary Maguire's hurl. But that's right. So they got they got six goals in the drawn game and mm. replay of the Iron final but that was very much the anomaly because they aren't scoring goals and that's, that's they the problem and, and to an extent they're not particularly trying I mean they, they you know if, if you saw the, the, what there was a 28 points yesterday mm. the amount they scored from midfield from out on the wing mm. they, there's no they, they don't seem in any way inclined to kind of work it in kind of find the big man on the edge of the square to kind of mm. to, to work goals the way like we'll watch when, when Clare are playing next week it's really you know, direct Clare straight to the middle goals, yeah. you know yeah. they're yeah. all about you know the, the well Shane O'Donnell won't be playing obviously but they have they have two guys played two guys inside mm. draw everybody else back create space around them and try and get goals Cork don't they are at least they haven't done that so yeah, Cork, yeah, Cork lack penetration. Mm. They, they lack that big man, I suppose, the target man, the edge of the square. And they are, you're right, they, they seem to be content with scoring the points out the, out the pitch. Um, you know, and that's all, I suppose, part of the that's game plan. Whereas Clare, the, you're times, right, Clare, the absolute opposite. Clare will bring out his play a sweeper system, if you like, they'll play three or four around the middle and they'll just create just loads of space mm. and they'll love coming up to Thurles next Sunday and they will create space and they will, they will have plenty of goal it's chances. something Cork, Cork will not beat Clare and, and Kilkenny without scoring goals. I can't. I can't see it. I mean, they, they're just they're going to be playing against two teams that that feed off goals. Mm. You know, like even you saw the end of Kilkenny the other night, like when they were so far ahead, still banging away, banging away, get goals, goals. goals. We're looking forward to Clare's emergence in this year's championship next year. Expecting to be better again than last year. 
Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, I've seen them training during the week, during the year. Very, very impressive outfit. Um, you know, very, very fit as well. They're fast. So they're going to bring a lot to the championship this year. But I think, you know, they're going in on Sunday against the Cork team with two championship two games. games. They're coming in cold, if you like. Um, you know, Tip beat them, I suppose, uh, in the National League semi-finals. So they wouldn't have a, played a competitive uh, league or championship game since then. So they'll find it difficult to beat Cork on Sunday, given the fact that Cork have two championship mm-hmm. games on their belt. Guys, we'll leave it there. Brilliant stuff as always. Benny Dunn, thank you. Malachi, thank you. Cheers, lads. Thanks, lads. Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. He threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Just a final point, Murph, on Sky's coverage. Go back to that. The Hatton, the co-anchoring was interesting. Hatton, I thought that Brian Carney and Rachel Wise would be splitting the games. I thought that's what they meant when those uh, mm. two people were announced as the presenters. But it ended up that the two of them were on together. It was funny. It was it was interesting and well worth trying. I think. But one issue I found with it was that it almost ended up, and this is kind of a natural thing in this situation, that Carney was interviewing Jamesy O'Connor, and then Rachel Wise was interviewing Ollie Canning. So as opposed to it being a conversation between four people, it felt to me at times like almost two separate interviews were going on and you were still getting a lot of good stuff and a lot of good analysis, but it just seemed that maybe there could have been more of a conversational flow. It's within the confines of a TV studio in a live setting and also it was the first time that they have done it. So I'll say it's, I don't even know, I wouldn't even call it a criticism, it's just a minor observation on it, but all in all, a a good job was done. I don't know if you saw Stephen O'Keefe, Balls.E put up a photo of the Waterford yeah. goalkeeper today. At, well, I'm sure he put it up initially hit with his leg. Stephen O'Keefe was in goals for Waterford, came out to save an Anthony Nash penalty, decided to confront the Anthony Nash penalty technique mm. by meeting him more than halfway. He probably ran about 90% of the way, jumped, in, put his body in the way of the Schlitter, has put up a photograph of himself with his leg. The bruising makes his leg look like an archery board. It's almost like rings of bruising mm. around, around with different colours. It, it, the further in you go towards the, the centre yeah. of it, it's pretty bad. It's, you can laugh at it and all the rest, but this whole... I, the hurling penalties are kind of nuts to begin with, and to be a hurling goalkeeper, you have to be incredibly brave. And he did the right thing for his team, but you do worry what happens here when somebody gets that ball somewhere else. Yeah, it was interesting uh, Gerard Land said on the Sunday game that the safety issue is now with the striker of the ball in that they're putting themselves in, in danger that someone is going to run out and get to them before they even strike the ball. I, To be honest, I would still much rather be the striker of the ball <laughs> than to be the, the recipient, the, to be the goalkeeper. Lee O'Neill, I think, was speaking on Morning Iron this morning saying that they're not going to change a rule midway through a year. And you can see the point of that, but this is an actual real life safety issue that they that they have to that they really have to have a, a look at. The reason that O'Keefe was able to get so close to the penalty, we should stress as well, was that you can only start moving as a goalkeeper, as a defender on the line. You can only start moving out towards the penalty taker when the ball is struck. But the literal definition of that means, and it seems that O'Keefe might have been one of the first to work this out, that it is struck as soon as Nash touches it for the first time mm. so he's starting his lift and Nash lifts it high flicks it up in the air and then runs after it so rather than waiting for the ball to be hit as such all the goalkeeper in, in goals needs to do is wait for the first, for the ball to begin to be lifted so that's how yeah. it ended up a really weird scene where O'Keefe is only a couple of feet away from the impact of the of Yeah and we can't the, the bar has been set now 
and keepers who don't do what Stephen O'Keefe did yesterday, <laughs> you know, their bravery will be called into question Probably, yeah, because you yeah. didn't chase down a ball being flung at 120 miles an hour. Um, that is not a good precedent for the game. Just a reminder, we have our first show of the day already out there for you. Ken Erdy's farewell show indeed is en route to Brazil and it featured the introduction of a very exciting, very new slot. Ken Erdy's World Cup Crystal Ball. And that is why Maradona is the greatest player in the world. He buried the... Yeah, I've been trying to look into the future here to see, um, because I guess people are interested in the future, what's going to happen in it. And there hasn't been a reliable way of of saying what is going to happen until now. Um, What do you see exactly? I see a statuette of gold. I see see it being held aloft in a a Brazilian stadium, uh, by a victorious captain. He was wearing a shirt the same color as the statue, Alan. So uh, I see a man in black, uh, or possibly I don't know, indigo, uh, or not yellow anyway. In this in this final, rising in the last minute of extra time to punch the winning goal home from a corner kick, uh, and then to look around abashed, for he, Owen, is the referee. It's the first time a referee has ever scored the winning goal in the World Cup <laughs> final. But FIFA really need Brazil to win this one. Uh, FIFA need Brazil to win that World Cup 2014 and send a lot of good vibes out around the world, around, around the cities of Brazil and, and around the world. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a referee score a goal in this tournament. And I wouldn't be surprised, well, I would be surprised if he scores a goal for any team other than Brazil. Ken Early's World Cup crystal ball. Oh, and I will promise you now there will be more Lots more of Ken Early's World Cup Crystal Ball on our extra shows over the next month. We're doing World Cup shows Monday to Thursday. We're doing our usual two shows a day from Mon- on Mondays and Thursdays. So it'll be six in total and plenty of Crystal Ball gazing by Ken. Ushi McConville coming up a little bit later, but it's time now to talk about Ireland's first ever win against Argentina in Argentina. Shane Horgan is in Tucumán province where the second test takes place next weekend. Trevor Hogan is right here in studio. Trevor, thanks for calling in. No bother. Shane, we'll start with you over there. You've had a long journey from Resistencia, which was the venue for the first test. We hear a lot about the, and certainly tends to come across on TV, the passion that Argentinian rugby fans have for their sport. Is that, was that the case or is it a bit drowned out by the World Cup? Um, yeah, the World Cup is uh, obviously the priority over here. It's on every um, television station around the clock, 24 hours, analysing everything about the World Cup and all the players. And so uh, rugby has sort of been sidelined a bit. Uh, it was interesting being over in Resistencia. There wasn't, it's not a heartland of rugby, uh, but there was a new stadium there. The stadium was very atmospheric and they really packed it full of uh, kids. There was a lot of school kids there, a lot of people from the locality. And they don't get rugby up there very often. So actually it was a great crowd. They were in, you know, maybe 90 minutes, um, two hours before the game. So there was a really good atmosphere at the stadium. I think it's going to be increased this week. Tucuman Province is a heartland of rugby. Um, and they're sort of, they're, it's the north of the country and it's a bit of the wilds of the country and it's sort of where men are men and it's a rough, tough um, history in rugby, very physical. Um, I think if you look at a few of the YouTube clips, there was a big game against South, uh, South Africa years ago where I think five men were sent off. Um, they really like the rugby up here and the fans will be uh, hostile. It's an old stadium. 
Um, but I just don't think this Argentinian team are strong enough to uh, to live up to the expectations of the, lo- of the locals here. Yeah, that did seem to be the case in the first test, certainly, Trevor. And we'll talk about individual players because that's almost maybe the most interesting part. In terms of the team performance, was there enough there to impress you from Ireland or do you have to take into account that it, this wasn't a strong Argentinian team? Well, I think on reflection and if, um, you know, the way everyone knows about Joe Smith's analysis, especially post-match, they'll be very disappointed, I think, Mm. in terms of the defence and possibly other aspects of their accuracy in attack, which was, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit, despite the scoreline of the Australian match before the the All Blacks, in terms of maybe they were very passive, especially on the short side in defence. They weren't really getting up off the line. Um, A lot of tackles... Scrag kind of soaking tackles where you're, you're tackling the man, you know, you're, you're absorbing him in your stomach. They were just getting easy enough yards. Now I know they are, they were an aggressive enough Argentinian side, but it just reminded me of that the Australia performance. And I think on reflection, they'll see that they'll be bitterly upset and disappointed with that. And it's going to be, it's going to be the main area I would say defensively. It's an interesting comparison because that Australia game was, as you say, was, I think it was the second game of Joe Schmidt's reign after the Samoa match. So it was the first big test. We lost quite poorly. But there was a bit of reasoning around the time that maybe there was so much to take on board mentally for the players from Joe Schmidt's approach that they forgot about the physical aspect. That shouldn't really be there now, or or should it? That they should be used to what Joe Schmidt wants from them, albeit there are new players in there. No, it shouldn't. And maybe you could argue that the, the, the new combinations in the midfield, but I think that was one of probably the stronger case, stronger parts of our of our game is the structure in, in that area um, with Cave and Sexton in particular. But I don't think there should be like one revealing aspect. And Shane might know more about this. Was the the fitness that we definitely looked like we tired in the last ten fifteen minutes, and it was revealing. Paul O'Connell spoke about it. The heat and the humidity was was getting to some of the lads, and he was shocked himself. The likes of Felix Jones, who he says is probably the fittest player he's ever seen uh, trained with was definitely kind of tiring and our, our, there was a lot of lads with their hands on the show, on their on the shorts towards the end and that's when we really we really struggled around the rook we struggled getting up on both sides of the the defensive line which should be something we you know it should be second nature now, but that was something that was costing us towards towards definitely the latter part of the game. But maybe Shane might be able to save the conditions. Lads were, were struggling in that heat. Maybe the Munster lads hadn't played since the semi-final. Same with the Ulster lads. Was that a factor? But uh, they won't take them as excuses. Les Kiss and, and Joe Schmidt, they're going to have to really up that intensity defensively. Shane? Yeah, the heat and the humidity weren't as big a factor as I thought they were going to be. Um, earlier on the day, it was very warm. Um, but by the time the uh, game came about, and certainly in the latter stages of the game, the, the temperature had dropped considerably, so it wasn't that big of an issue. I spoke to a couple of the guys after the game. They, they felt the Argentinians were very physical, and they were fatigued. And you're right, Trev, they were, there was a lot of hands on um, hips, there was a lot of hands on knees uh, in that final you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes. But the Argentinians, too... They were absolutely destroyed. And if you saw, but just before they scored their try and Ireland had that period of pressure with a couple of penalties, um, the Argentinian team were looking very fatigued. And um, it, it re- you know, that was manifested in, in the play of uh, Montero, who you know, he, was, he played exceptionally uh, in the first half, was working incredibly hard, chasing every kick. In the second half, he really just stayed on his left wing. All right, not much ball came out to him, but he almost abandoned Tukela, the full back, and um, he was having to cover the whole back field himself um, which Ireland didn't exploit and I think you know it's worth maybe th- thinking about this game not as a one-off um, uh, one-off match where Ireland felt it 
necessary to squeeze every single point out out of the game. I think Ireland were certainly trying things that they wouldn't have tried in a more competitive game. And there was plenty of opportunity to kick the ball, um, um, spiral into the corners, find uh, grass. They didn't take those opportunities until Madigan came on, really. And I think that's was that was because Ireland were trying different things. They were trying out the combinations, but they were also trying to keep the ball in hand. You know, if you wanted them to really destroy that Argentinian team, I think they could have kicked more ball off the field, uh, went for the driving mall, or even went for um, plays off the set plays, in, in, off the set piece. Instead, they actually kept the ball in hand, sometimes too often, ran up um, alleys sometimes. But I think they were trying um, to impose a, a, a try out a new game plan. Shane, can we talk about Simon Zebo? Because we saw what we see a lot from Simon Zebo, some of the good and some of the bad uh, parts of his game. Jerry Thornley writing today in the paper was saying that when Schmidt was name-checking some players who played well, he was asked about Zebo, and he said, yeah, Simon was all right, which doesn't exactly sound like a ringing endorsement. Is there a chance that Zebo could become maybe the Jordan Murphy of this era as Murphy was for Eddie O'Sullivan? And that's to say, too good a player to ignore, but he might never be fully trusted by the coach. Yeah, no, I don't think that's the case. I think uh, Simon Zebo doesn't have to change a huge amount of things about his game to play for Ireland and, and be uh, very impressive for Ireland. But, um, you know, Joe doesn't mind putting pressure on players. Um, in an interview before the game, for example, you know, Darren Cave's coming in for his first real start. And instead of, you know, a lot of coaches saying that, you know, he, he'll have time and, you know, he has to get into the position. Joe was saying in an interview before the game, saying there's a big responsibility to wear the uh, 13 jersey. So there's pressure on Cave to perform. He can't, you know, not perform. You know, I, I remember even, and Trevor remember this, from our time uh, working with Joe, um, he really puts the pressure on you. And I remember, like, box kicking would be a big part of his game and was a part of my game that I was involved in. And, you know, if you were getting bumped out of the way and you weren't making it, he wasn't finding excuses for your poor performance or, you know, not getting there. He was asking, what can you do to get there? And I think this is what he's doing with Simon Zebo. Um, you know, you're right. Zebo did break a, a number of tackles. He looked good on the ball. But he does have a, a few other aspects that he has to develop in his game to really make him a complete rugby player. And it's not, it's not difficult stuff. He just really has to have his head on. His competing at rook time is not good enough, and it's something that Joe loves. Look at the wingers that he has been employing, employing with Dave Carney and Andrew Trimble, who's had the best um, year of his career. Massive in the, in the uh, counter rook. So he's making a tackle, doing a second job, making it easier for other people. Um, the chasing of kicks, really competing on every single ball, not being, allowed, not being barged out of the way, um, and making sure you're competing every time. Trimble, again, the perfect example of this. Um, I think as well, a tackle time, and I thought Zebo didn't tackle uh, badly and he worked well on a number of occasions, but maybe a little bit more work, not the soak tackle, um, implement a chop earlier or really get in on the ball. Now, these are things he can change. Working in the backfield is another, uh, is another issue for Zebo. I don't think he works um, the, the pendulum in the back three as well as he can. But again, he's got a huge amount of talent. I don't think these are things that have been drummed into him over the last number of years. And he's coming up um, he's coming uh, to a coach who demands this and as long as he knows what he has to do I think he's got every chance of doing it Trevor what do you think? Yeah I think uh, you touched on it there Shane Joe is very slow to, to 
laud players with, with superlatives, you know. And I think sometimes to get an, an all right from Joe is actually pretty good, you know. And you're going to read, it's very rare he will give players, really single them out with massive uh, superlatives. You know, maybe O'Driscoll when he's coming to the end of his career. Although even then, I remember, didn't O'Driscoll uh, show a few amazing touches in that game against Samoa that I referenced? And afterwards, yeah. Schmidt said, well, Brian would be disappointed with some of the missed tackles. And everyone's thinking, what? Exactly, you know. And that's what, what one of the most things I was shocked by him when he came in at first with Leinster and even Shane was talking about there Shane Draco the big names were getting hit with, with criticism you know or they weren't even getting you know massive praise which which made you think twice yeah so we're all on the same level here and, and and that's why when I see an all right from Joe it's actually not that bad you know unbelievable like, Trev isn't it that we weren't getting the praise yeah very, well, very <laughs> well it worked in a way because it got he brought the lads to another another standard mm-hmm. you know it just kind of sh- it was a little bit of a shock to them but an alright is not that bad I think from Zebo, and I think there was a couple of things Zebo did there I was really impressed with at the weekend defensively and Shane spotted it in the commentary one was when he, he slapped down I think it was De La Fuente who was going to hand him off he slapped him down in the same movement he tagged the ball with the other shoulder not and, and saved a certain try. Now that's a really hard tackle technique to perfect. That was that was actually one of the best defensive skills I've seen at the weekend. That's something he you know he doesn't get maybe the most praise for, but that was that was definitely something he will get credit for from the defensive coaches and, and, and Joe when he looked back at it. But at the same time, he did come in off his wing at one stage when he didn't need to, and it could have cost us a try early on in the first half. So it kind of sometimes he can balance it out, but he's trying hard. Um, I think attackingly, attacking wise, he, he, he's just he's just got that X factor, you know, and that, that little around the back pass offload he got to to Cave, who, who maybe should have scored. Um, that's the kind of thing he brings. Um, it sounds like you're both quite optimistic, though, that this relationship, this Zebo Schmidt relationship, will work, Shane. Yeah, I, listen, I tell you, he'll want it to work. Of course, Simon Zebo will want to work. Joe Smith will want it to work. You know, this. I think just because he hasn't been picked um, during the Six Nations, there was this idea in the media that somehow Joe Smith, you know, didn't want to pick Zebo. I thought there was something fundamentally wrong in this game. I don't think that's the case at all. Joe, if anything, is a pragmatist. He will want to get the best players out there playing uh, for him. And what he's doing at the moment, I think, probably with you know lowering the the um, idea in the media, not 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 overinflating uh, Zebo and pointing out the areas that he has to work, it's just reinforcing that and trying to make Sim Zebo the best player he can be because. Trev's right. That ball out the back was just a sublime bit of skill. He also uh, there was a there was a scrum uh, five meters out that wasn't actually very well executed, um, but the ball did come to Zebo. He takes uh, he, he beat about three players jinking and and um, retained possession and allowed uh, uh, allowed Ireland to to go again. You know stuff that's very difficult to do. That that tackle as well was a really well executed tackle. So there's not a huge amount of problems with Simon Zebo's game. And as I said earlier, I just don't. Think think that over the last couple of years that these you know frailties have you know maybe been pointed out to him mm-hmm. yes he didn't come back in good enough shape after um the tour and that can be something that can happen with young lads um after the the lions he didn't come back in maybe the shape he should have been but in fairness to him he's got into shape and um, he picked up a, an injury which was unfortunate the other wings were playing well but he certainly has the capacity to do something special for ireland uh, once he's been made aware of them, and, and it takes time to reinforce these, 
hopefully uh, with the uh, new coach coming in at Munster, they'll be made aware they, they'll keep on working on them. You know, he's got time to get into this world, into the World Cup squad and have an influence on the World Cup. And I promise you, uh, Joe Smith will want that more than anybody. Darren Cave did manage to get a certain amount of praise from Joe Schmidt afterwards. Uh, this is a guy who's been waiting his whole career probably for Brian O'Driscoll to retire, Trevor. And now that he's starting in this series, it brings a certain amount of pressure in itself. Did you think he handled it quite well? Yeah, I thought so, and, and it probably was reflected in maybe a little bit more than an all right from Joe Schmidt uh, when he was talking about Darren. And what, what Darren, I think, was doing pretty really well, and it's something Joe looks for, apart from the breakdown work, is the kind of animation in your running lines, even if you're not receiving the ball. And Darren did that really well for Johnny Sexton's try. You know, that's the kind of selfless stuff that you look for, that Joe wants to bring the best out in other players, bring the best out in everyone. And maybe something Simon can work on as well, Simon Zebo. But Darren did that really well. He also, you know, what he allowed, that was the show and go, the wraparound. Darren had, you know, caved it early on in the match. He kind of, he, what what makes the, the wraparound work is when he shows and then goes, it makes the defender think the next mm-hmm. time that allows him bite down for a second that allows Johnny Sexton go around the corner so it's all it's kind of connected and, and some of that stuff Cave kind of laid the platform with um, maybe once or twice defensively again he, he probably got stepped I think off the quick tap penalty but in attack we looked really threatening off line out again off scrum off, off set piece that's when we were making some of the breaks early on the first half a lot of that was down to Darren Cave and his relationship with, with Sexton um, so that's going to be a real positive whether he's going to we're going to keep going with him now this weekend as a challenge but I think Cave showed enough there that he could possibly he could step into the, the Driscoll's shoes Yeah and it's interesting Sexton has I think it was a, a tightness in his quad which was the issue so hopefully he'll be okay there might be a change at, at inside centre so it could be just because of injury there Shane so it could be a bit of a different setup for Ireland would you expect Cave to play again does he need to get another run at 13? I'm trying to think. I don't think he would have got another run if um, Robbie Henshaw was on tour. I think they would have given him a go. Um, I don't know if they're going to start with Sexton again. I think at the start of the, uh, before the tour, when Jackson was fit, um, I think they were going to go with uh, Jackson in the second test. Uh, now, whether that's going to change now when Madigan comes in, I don't know. I don't think Sexton's injury is too bad and should be okay to, he should be okay to play um, if, if selected. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Joe is thinking, his mindset, um, with regard to the Madigan selection at, uh, at 10 when he just did that. Um, I don't think there's too many options other than Caves uh, at 13, and I think that he should play. I think it's very difficult to, to show your wares on one game, and even in, in two games, in fairness. But you're right, he has been waiting for a very long time. Um, I, he rates himself as well, which is important for a 13, but what I thought it was very good. Uh, was his uh, line speed and defence? It was really exceptional, right up into the last you know couple of minutes when um, Argentina had the ball for for a multi phase. He was exceptional on. He, he was covering the right hand side and was closing down everything. As a result, Argentina went down the the short side and and Ireland were exposed. That's because somebody on the other side wasn't doing the same job that uh, Darren Cave was doing. So that defensive work isn't something normally you really. Uh, associate with a, a Darren Cave performance. Yes, he's very good on that fadeaway and he, he runs a very nice flat uh, line. Uh, but uh, the defensive um, part of his game, aspect of his game, will be heartening for Joe Smith. I thought, I'm not entirely certain if those that centre partnership works perfectly. I thought Marshall, a very good ball carrier, uh, very strong. He didn't get to use that too much because we were moving a lot of the ball wide. 
but I thought his distribution just wasn't quite as good as it should be. Again, it's something he can work on. If he gets the distribution part of his game uh, up to the rest of his game, um, then he could be a very effective 12. Um, but it should be interesting to see who they pick in that combination because you know, Cave was lucky in the fact that he had uh, Johnny Sexton at uh, at 10 and Sexton always holds the inside and he throws that ball out nice and flat, which is what Cave wants. Well, Cave is going to be coming back to uh, an Ulster setup that has lost its director of rugby, David Humphreys, um, Mr. Ulster in a lot of ways. Shane, this has shocked a lot of people, I think, in Ulster, certainly, and Irish rugby. Is it the kind of loss, the kind of defection that can, and for people who aren't, haven't been listening to these now going to be Gloucester's director of rugby is this the kind of thing that can derail what looks like an Ulster team who are on the way to good things well it doesn't look great um, and you know, I was wondering what the factors are with uh, his move um, he's really built that team from the ground up he has to take he has to take a lot of um, the credit for what's gone uh, on an Ulster but there is a feeling and there has been a feeling around and, and I've spoken to a number of um, people from um, Ulster there was a feeling that maybe this was the year that they were meant to achieve and I, I thought there was every opportunity for them to achieve this year I thought for large parts of it they looked like the best um, Irish province and they looked like a team that could actually I thought win Europe um, next year they've, gonna, they've lost uh, John Afoe and Tom Court that's going to be a huge issue for them. And not to mention Muller as well. I think they could probably deal with the Muller loss, but the two front rowers, I think they're not going to be in the same position to challenge uh, for um, silverware as they were this year. So that does, does that mean it's, you know, was David Humphreys thinking maybe it, the project has, has reached a, a sort of a conclusion? That would be a scary point of view if you're if an Ulster fan. The other th- option that could be is that you know, he's tired of the budgetary constraints and Gloucester have promised him that, uh, you know, he can go after players that he wants to. to. And the other option possibly is that um, there was a Johnny Sexton situation where they thought, you know, this guy is a home bird. He's an Ulster man. He's going to be here all his life and we're not going to offer him the correct contract. Um, so I don't know which one of those things are the reason. Uh, maybe it'll come out in the wash, but I certainly hope it's not the last one because, you know, if nothing, we should have, you know, Irish rugby should have learned that you have to keep your, your best talent here. And it's actually cheaper in the long run to keep the, the best players, management staff, uh, administrators here. OK, we'll have to leave it there. Listen, Shane, enjoy the second test over there. Trevor, thanks so much for coming in. No worries. Sound. Cheers. Thanks. All right. That's, that's good manners. <laughs> players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no 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 it's none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean um, you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, I don't know we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. If we needed any further confirmation that Joe Schmidt is a hard man to please, I think the guys provided it there. If a yeah, Simon was all right, can potentially be seen as a compliment, then we know. The point that Trevor raised is interesting that he came in immediately to Leinster and challenged the likes of Shane and Brian O'Driscoll and the, maybe the biggest name players there 
but that's different from actually doing it in interviews and to media. That's what I find fascinating about Schmidt, that he's not afraid to criticise O'Driscoll in his first match in charge for Ireland for missing a couple of tackles against, I think it was that he'd missed tackles, that he hadn't been brilliant defensively. And that was quite a striking moment for me. Well, what I really said, whatever about how well Ireland were going to do under Schmidt, it told me that we're going to enjoy Joe Schmidt's post-match interviews. And we certainly have. He's rarely disappointed in that sphere. Ushi McConville has joined us. Ushi, and thanks very much for dropping by. You picked Mayo for the All-Ireland title when you were previewing the championship with yeah. Murph. Were you doubting yourself after an hour yesterday? No, no, no. Still very confident. I think it was <laughs> comfortable one-point win. I think uh, Mayo, to be fair, might be going about things slightly different this year. Uh, I don't think that was all planned yesterday, don't get me wrong. But I think they've, what they've done is they haven't put a, uh, a big amount of credence on the league. And uh, they seem to have carried that into the championship to see a little bit close to the wind yesterday. But um, I think they'll improve. I think they're still a team that they're still probably one of the only teams that can that can challenge the Dubs. You know, the celebrations at the end. The camera caught a shot of I think it was Aidan O'Shea and Andy Moran, and it was as though they'd won the yeah. All Ireland. There, he was. It did it did show that there was a relief there. They felt that they maybe got out of jail a little bit. Yeah, and Roscommon, in fairness to them, set themselves up well. Made it really difficult for Mayo. They had. They had the the big matchups right. I think uh, you know up front they probably thought they might get a little bit more. Selling Cabrera a good game, but Donny Shane in fairness, they thought they thought they'd probably get a little bit more out of him. And if they had it, they probably would have won the game. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of thought it, it, it seemed very easy for us common to cause Mayo a lot of problems yesterday. Like I would say that right, Mayo are still you know one of the top teams. They're still likely to be playing in the Ireland semi final at the very least, but. Roscommon didn't have to have a huge expansive game plan to cause them a lot of problems yesterday and that was the worrying thing I thought yeah and the only the only thing I would say about yesterday is and I suppose having played in take grounds and having played in Crow Park it's almost a completely different game when you go to Crow Park it's almost a completely different game I don't think we've seen the best of the Mayo uh, running game yesterday I think they can offer a lot more coming from the fence and almost in the same way as Dublin do uh, but maybe not, not as refined at it as yet but I think it completely changes when they go to when they go to Crow Park. I think they will come into their own. But uh, probably a lot of the celebrations is down to the fact that they know where they're at right now, and they know that you know they probably haven't hit that top gear just yet. And I'd say when you're a team like Mayo and you've sort of you sort of almost there and you keep almost getting there, and people talk about belief and stuff like that. It's much much more than belief. I think for uh, for Mayo, I think now it's a matter of. Uh, They've changed it every year. James Horn has changed it. He's tweaked it. He's he's looking for the correct formula that when they get to August, September, that they are bouncing off the off the ground. Because last year I felt when they got into the All Ireland final, I expected them to be, you know, I know you're not allowed to use the word hunger and that in this program, but, <laughs> but I, I do think that you know when they get to that stage that you know they need to have that extra bit that they need to have another gear they can go to. There's absolutely no point. I mean, we've seen them win last year on an average of 14, 15 points per game. That did them absolutely no good. I think yesterday, you know, from James Horne's point of view, will bring Mayo on a lot. Well, Shane Curran on the show on Thursday was quite critical of James Horne. He says that when they've got to All-Ireland Finals, he's made mistakes and that they should have one in the bag at this stage. Would you go along with that? It seems like you're a bit better disposed towards Horne. Yeah, no, I am. I think that uh, James Horne has a big task on his hands. I think he could... I'd like to look back at the start of James Horn's reign and see what he brought to um, 
what he brought to Mayo. In actual fact, uh, it's a good comparison of what Jim McGuinness done with Donegal. We were talking about a team. Donegal was slightly different. We were talking about a team of party animals and stuff. He sort of had a. He people thought he had to change that end of things. In Mayo, there was a softness about them, and he gave them a lot of steel. And I think, you know, he's on a. I think this is his third year with uh, with with Mayo. Uh, he seems to have built them up and built them up and built them up. And you almost feel as if he's tucked them to a point where it's now over to the players to get the thing mm-hmm. over the line, you know. I think he's put all the things in place. I think you talk to any of the Mayo players, you'll never hear any criticism of Horn because the one thing he's done is he's uh, created that professional setup that, that, that they speak of and that they probably haven't had before. Um, it's, is it that idea that you hear a lot where you have to take the excuses away from players because players in all sports will look for a reason to justify how they didn't perform what James Horn has done at this stage is taking all those excuses away the preparation is right go out and do it yeah and it's probably to be honest when I, when I read Aidan O'Shea during the year making excuses about different things I was probably a little bit disappointed because uh, that's the last thing that Mayo need to hear that's the last thing that needs to be reverberating around the change room what, what had he been saying well he'd been saying about uh, about the comments on Mayo and, and you know blaming pundits for, for giving out about them and different things he got there you just got to play football you got to get over the lane when they get over the lane then you can have a pop at whoever you want but until that stage you can't because you're left out there for criticism I know we're, I don't want to uh, Move on to Armagh now, but mm. but uh, I spoke to one of the players this morning. I asked him why there was no me- why they weren't talking to the media, why they were very, uh, I suppose, they were shunning the media coverage even after the game yesterday. I asked him, you know, what was the story? He said, "Well, the media had said that we were how poor we were, and and that wasn't the language he used, but you know how poor we were during the league, how we had very little offer." And like my answer to him was that. That was the truth. They didn't offer anything during the league. You know, what did they want people to say? So, you know, you'll find that usually, okay, you know, you're always looking for a bit of balance. But uh, when you talk about Mayo, there's always going to be criticism because they don't get over the lane. And the only way to end that criticism is to get over the lane and to win that all earn. But uh, I think it comes to a point where players have to take ownership. And you can't babysit players. You can't always babysit players. There comes a time where when they go across that lane, I'll be honest, yesterday I watched uh, Terry Hayne, he was, he was in front of me for most of the game, and, and really and truly there was nothing he could have done yesterday. You know, when those players went over the line, they just didn't perform, and you, you've seen it, Loud were in the same situation yesterday. I mean, you know, I know a lot of the Loud boys um, haven't t- uh, taken them at, at uh, college level and different things like that there. They were convinced they were going to win that game yesterday, but, you know, and the preparation and everything was there, they felt they were in peak, peak condition for that game went across the lane yesterday just did, simply didn't perform well, too can, many players who didn't perform we can move it on to Armagh now maybe the cabin players were all fought out after the pre-match shenanigans a little bit embarrassing it, it, to be honest you know I suppose it's not something that I would would have really even come come on to my radar you know when you're playing and you've, you've had incidents like that down through the years I suppose the only thing was, was where I was sitting yesterday there was a lot of kids and, and, and it's not nice it's really not nice I mean it's sort of, it's almost like I know we joke about it. But it's almost par for the course that there's going to be an incident like that in Ulster every year, and it was very petty. Armagh lined up behind the Calvin flag, and I played on a team as well where we we did that, or we went to the to the to the opposite end of the thing, and I'm just thinking, why do we need to do this? Like, if yeah. you haven't got the motivation inside yourself to win this game for whatever reason, 
sometimes you need to draw. Sometimes you're not going to be that much out for a game, and you need to draw on certain reasons. But what better reason than get into the next round and to get an opportunity to win something? And especially, especially from an Alba point of view, yesterday, I know they had, I know they had to put down, put lay down a marker yesterday. And to be honest, you know, from that point. Cavan players were not in the game, so it did have an effect on on what actually happened on the field. Obviously, Martin Dunn couldn't take couldn't take part in the game as well. So, you know, it obviously had a major effect on the Cavan players right from the start. One of the suggestions I've heard since is that well, these pre match parades maybe shouldn't happen. That they can throw up incidents like this. This is what we heard when there was that brawl in Central yeah. Stadium a few years back that players shouldn't have to walk out at the same time, but. I often think you know, elite level sports people, essentially professional sports people, should be able to maybe hold their emotions in check in those situations. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, you you, you say right. Well, on the back of this, you should just you should get rid of all pre-match parades, or you know, you you should you shouldn't shake hands with your opposite number when you go into the corner because that's another you know potential flashpoint. I mean, it's even you know it's even a bit of a uh, of a movable feast in the GA anyway. In that there is a parade saying Dr. Hyde Park yesterday, uh, but there may not have been in. It, there, there may not be in other qualifier games or whatever. Well, we always have also. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. And a row over some flags <laughs> as well. Uh, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I, like you have to put it in the the hands of the players to make sure that that it it doesn't happen again. And there have been parades like this for years. And I can't, I can't actually remember one over this specific type of yeah. incident. Uh, the the one thing you'd see now is as well that. A lot of teams hold their players back before they go into the tunnel. Let one team down the tunnel and the other team. And sometimes I think that that is preconceived by the Ulster Council or by Crow mm. Park or whatever, because it's happening more and more now. You very rarely see two teams going down the tunnel together. Mm. You know, you always see one manager getting his players together and they'll go down and they'll wait and then they'll go down afterwards. So you know, I suppose we can plan for so much, but it's probably something you're not really you don't really expect to be honest. I mean. One of the things when we were playing on the Joe Kernan was that you know, any we were ever in a march, uh, marching round after the band, or parading, or whatever, sorry, we're marching, <laughs> yes, we're parading, of course, yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> we're parading round after the band is that uh, you know we would be always be on the outside because he felt as if there was an advantage there because first of all you don't have to stop your walk, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, around, yeah, 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 and plus the fact you're getting you're closer to the crowd, yeah, you're closer to the crowd, and I suppose you get interesting, yeah, yeah. So I that is that is weird though. I mean, I can't. I, I mean, you have to slow down a bit while you're turning the corner. Yeah, he'll talk. Well, there was one of those. <laughs> you got to keep walking. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably a, a sort of a physical preparation type. Uh, one of the issues yesterday that was a, that apparently yeah, the home team usually goes on yeah, one side, and it just yeah, so sorry. happened that the flags were in the yeah. wrong order. Kieran Whelan made the point in the Sunday game that it's happened. To, I think it was Kieran Whelan who said it. That's happened in games he's been involved in, and they've just gotten. They've actually just asked the two Artane boys band lads to switch positions. Yeah, and then they've probably a little easier. It might yeah. be rather than fighting each yeah. other. The fight would yeah. be one more one-sided anyway. In fairness, if they did try. But it. in all seriousness, is what sort of a you did say it was embarrassing, not great for particularly families, kids watching. What kind of a punishment should be meted out for this? Well, it's, it's hard to see. And I, know was, I think there was only one camera there yesterday uh, at the match. So it's hard to see how they're going to pick individual players out. If somebody's seen striking, it'll have to be done because I know Marty Duffy. And I think, to be, on, be honest, uh, one of the reasons why Marty Duffy didn't deal with it or didn't pick individuals out is well, first of all, it was it just looked like a melee from where I was sitting, and there were so many bodies involved. But now the CCC can can deal with it retrospectively. So, I suppose as a result of that, if there is anybody seen punching on it, well, then they probably will get a suspension, and rightly and rightly so, because there is no place for it. And regardless of much, we can have a bit of a laugh about it and different things like that, and you know that it does happen. It's, 
or it does happen, it does stuff up, but it's still unacceptable, you know, when we don't want to see it. What about the post-fight stuff, the game itself? Did Armad do enough to, I suppose you should congratulate them in, for the victory in its own right, did they do enough to suggest that they could do damage to Monon or Tyrone? I think, I think they did. I think I've seen enough yesterday. I think defensively, for the first time in quite a while, we look very, very solid. I think in the middle of the field, uh, I was wondering about the midfield pairing before the game, but one of the things I liked about them was that they're both very defensively minded. It gave us an opportunity to let our half-backs uh, go free and, and get up the field, and I think we've really seen that when Aaron Kernan come on the last 25 minutes. You know, That system is absolutely ideal for a player like him because he's got pace, he gets forward, and he, nine times out of ten he, takes the right, he makes the right decision when he gets up there. But uh, I just felt... Again, we look very, very solid. We haven't looked like that in qu- in quite some time. Uh, lots of positives. I think we kicked uh, ten wides in the first half, four keep four balls into the keeper's hands, and you know we just looked as if we were going to create a huge amount of chances. I, I'm not really that perturbed by the fact we kicked a few wides. There's a lot of there's a few players making their debuts and different things. I think uh, we look fairly nervous. You know, towards the start of the game, there was a lot riding on the game for Armagh Pride as much as anything else. They showed an insatiable hung- hunger. Uh, they tackle like I haven't seen them tackle in quite a while, and that was all positive. But you got to temper that with the fact that Cavan were absolutely awful yesterday. <laughs> And I consider Cavan, and you know what, I, you know, I've, I've spoken about them a couple of times, and the fact that they are on an upper curve, and yeah. and they are doing things right, and they have won four under twenty also under twenty one championships in a row, but they were absolutely awful yesterday in every respect of the game. The only probably Gerald McCarran was the only one that could come out of the game with any semblance of of credit. Just a quick word on Kildare, who maybe for the first time in about five years aren't being spoken about as dark horses. May I suggest that this year they are now dark horses? <laughs> there seem to be dark, dark horses this year. Uh, they, they have a lot of the attributes it takes to, to win all errands, and they probably will get to the latter stages, but physically, I don't know if they have enough, especially around the middle of the field. Um, I think they're not as... A, in tune with the dark arts of the game as maybe they should be when I mean dark arts I mean you know I just don't know if they're physical enough I don't know if they'll get it on enough break ball you, they play against a team like Dublin I'll use Dublin okay they play against a team like Dublin who are not spectacular in the middle of the field by any means either um, especially from the opposition kickouts. but uh, did they win break ball you know we talk about you know the Dubs are the best team in the country I hate using the word again, but they look like the hungriest team as well because they get in and they get at it and and they win that break ball. And if they don't win it, they're getting lots and lots of tackles in that middle central area of the field. Uh, Kildare don't do enough of that for me, uh, but they have they have they have they have enough about them to go to the latter stages. I just realised that I totally glossed over Dublin earlier on. Thanks for reminding me before I let you escape from studio here. Uh, the problems that Leach caused in the first half, particularly. Uh, Defensively, but also maybe getting on top of Stephen yeah. Cluxon's kickouts. Was there enough there, enough there to provide a blueprint for other teams this summer? Definitely, and I think we had that same thing last year with Meath. You know, they put a lot of pressure on Cluxon's kickouts. Uh, the, the, the thing I find really funny about yesterday was like a lot of people around the, the area were giving scores on how uh, Dublin were doing and they were getting beaten, and a lot of people were saying, "See, the Dubs aren't all they're cracked up to be." And still, when the game was over, the Dublin had won by 11 points. They'd taken off the full, their full forward line. They looked as if they were playing in about third gear. And people were still saying around me, you know, the Dubs are there for the taking, I'm telling you. So they had an 11-point victory and people are still picking holes in it. But yeah, there was, there was enough yesterday, I think. Uh, 
I think to be fair to Leash, you know, they set they set up brilliantly. Uh I think again, go back to last year's All Ireland final, if if Mayo had to take some of that on board and push up on, on Cluxon's kickouts a little bit more and make it a battle in the middle of the field, they probably would have won that battle and maybe have won the game as a result. But uh certainly there's a lot of teams will take a lot from from yesterday and yeah. probably be buoyed by the fact that that Dublin will put the pin on a collar for a long time. Yeah, it's it's the same issue though. I mean, people have have found ways to give Dublin trouble for fifty minutes. Yeah, and that, I mean that's the that's the most impressive part of it all is that uh, you know there is the blueprint there to cause Dublin trouble for fifty minutes, and then there's the last twenty where you're getting tired and Dublin calling the cavalry and like I think I think we can talk about how to beat the dubs and all the rest I think we all know how to beat the dubs for the first 50 minutes it's yeah. actually do you have the strength and depth to match them then in the last 20 minutes and you feel as if if a game goes on another 10 minutes that they're just streaking away from you yeah. because they just look in absolutely tip top Nick in fairness alright well Shane we will now let you leave thank you thanks <laughs> Shane Curran with the kick out the 42 year old goalkeeper Turned it out from goal. Here he comes. He tucked it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Down. 1944 is the last time a senior tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 one with the last one. Down. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad. I think O'Shane probably struck a fair tone there with regards to the Armagh cabin brawl. It's, because I find that some people are willing to essentially just write it off and say, oh, there were no punches thrown and nobody was badly hurt. Well, Martin Dunn was badly hurt, actually, whatever way he managed to hurt his arm. But that's too easy. It's too easy to say nobody got hurt. What you have to highlight is how ridiculous it is that sports people at this level are indulging in this kind of nonsense. And it does look bad. I know she was saying there's kids there and it is embarrassing. I don't know if you noticed Kieran McKeever. I know I'm, I'm being quite serious now. Mm. I'm laughing about Kieran McKeever, but it's hard not to, after the, when it looked like it had all settled down, they then began to line up again to go into the, uh, to start marching around. And McKeever wasn't letting it go, this idea of where they should be standing. So there were maybe four cabin players ahead of him who directly mm. behind the cabin flag. McKeever slowly was sneaking along the outside, so like something you might do in primary school, sneaking around the outside of these guys, and suddenly the Cavan guys look around and McKeever's in front yeah. of them again, until Grimley came over to the manager and said, McKeever, everyone else. We've met our point <laughs> here. Let's go and beat these guys yeah. on the field. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's just stupid, you know? And I think the reaction amongst a lot of GA people might, might nearly be, oh, well, who's going to get suspended out of it? Or, is you know, what action are the GA going to take? I mean... Fact of the matter is, it just looks terrible and it looks kind of stupid as well. To be honest, it just looks kind of idiotic from, mm. the, from the point of view of like all of the players involved mm. yesterday. I just think none of them come out of it with any credit whatsoever. Not really. There's always the argument that some people are going in as peacemakers, and that actually might be true, but it's very hard to pick out the peacemaker and the aggressor. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's very easy to pick out the aggressor if you see massive haymakers being thrown, but this was more people being thrown around a f- couple of elbows here and there and there may have been punches that we didn't fully see but like it, it, one or two flashpoints and then the, there's maybe 20 people trying to make sure they're not seen to take a backward step and that's basically all oh, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. It was just, you know so it's just very childish it's just very school yardish Ken Erdy's World Cup farewell Irish Times second captain's football podcast is snappily titled Murph and it's out there it's on the internet as you said if you want to listen to it on iTunes like the rest of our shows and SoundCloud 
the Podcast Republic app if you've got an Android. Whatever way you want to do it, do have a listen to that. We had Richie Sadler and also Tim Vickery. Tim was bringing us up to date on last-minute preparations, both for himself and for the Brazilian people ahead of the start of the tournament. Richie was in great form in studio too, so it's definitely worth a listen if you want to get a little bit more excited, if that's possible, about the World Cup. Do also have a listen if you get the chance to some of the other shows on the Irish Times. So irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. You've got a whole bunch of great stuff to choose from there. Murph, that's pretty much it from myself and yourself, so thanks very much for being here. Thank you all. Thanks very much for being here, doing your job, and <laughs> thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you later on. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 